17 minutes it is uh, before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk now and uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, some of the uh, uh, stories in the world of business that uh, were moving markets at the start of this new week. And joining me to do this is an independent analyst and market commentator and uh, chartered accountant Snesipo Maninjwa. Snesipo, good evening to you, Siswam Gunjan. I'm good, and you, Aya. How are you today on a Monday? I'm good. I'm good. Better a change of season, but yeah. Uh, Snesibong, <laughs> <laughs> I want us to take a look just briefly at uh, Adapt IT. Now, uh, caught up earlier on with Swu uh, Shabalala from Adapt IT, and uh, I guess uh, he was more optimistic and uh, uh, more positive uh, in his outlook about uh, the decline in profitability they saw here. On the back, of course, of some of his divisions uh, doing very well and uh, registering some double-digit revenue growth. Yes, yes, yes. I, I caught the interview actually you had earlier with him. Um, he talked about the good performance of their main businesses, and specifically the education division, as well as the other divisions. Um, but the big concern, of course, as you're aware, is their energy division, mm. which saw a 30% decline on top-line revenue, which is, I think... Uh, one of the reasons for the subdued results, because remember the education division went up 24%, uh, manufacturing also went up, financial services, but that 30% decline was a bit of a hit, mm. was a bit of a hit, and as well as the simple fact that um, interest-bearing borrowing doubled. <laughs> and I mean, I, I guess a lot of that has to do with uh, some of the acquisitions they undertook um, in the previous financial year, and uh, having to have borrowed uh, to uh, finance some of those, uh, what do you make of, uh, I guess, some of the capital structure moves they've had? They've had share, share buybacks. They've uh, ramped up some of their gearing. Uh, you know, isn't that a smart thing to do in this kind of economic environment uh, to one, take on as much gearing as these guys have? As you know, I'm not against the concept of debt as long as you are growing faster than your debt payments. So they had two things. Remember, they've gone on international, bit of a international expansion mm. with acquisitions in the Asia Pacific. They have used debt to fund some of these acquisitions, which is not necessarily a problem. Mm. But there's also um, quite a few things. So with the with the acquisitions, there were quite a few once-off costs that were incurred. And just general amalgamation business costs that were incurred. And also one of the big things was um, an increase in the effective tax rate, company group tax rate, which went up to 39%, which is actually quite high if you think of the fact that the company's tax rate is 28%. And that was due to um, uh, foreign withholding taxes as well as non-deductible interest expenses Uh, as a result of the acquisition. Because as you know, um, interest payments are not, interest is not deductible if it's of a capital nature. Interest Mm. deductions are only for those of income nature, a little bit of income tax here and there. So that was sort of like what is sort of what has happened in the group and just just looking from the foreign picture, the, the, the complete picture. So although top line grew, which is nice, Okay. All right. The top line grew as well. Cost base went up 
just as fast, if not more. Mm, mm. And and if we just compare, I guess, like for like here, yeah, uh, because a lot of uh, what contributed to their profitability in the previous period was uh, disposal of some of the assets uh, that they had, in particular, I think, a financial services a business that they found to be no longer strategic to to uh, their continuing operations. Uh, but if we strip that away, um, uh, I guess this uh, particular sort of decline in profitability doesn't look as uh, large as it does. It, it, it really doesn't. Um, if you look at like, if you like, look at if you do the comparison between continuing operations and discontinuing operations, mm. and the fact that they still achieved organic growth, excluding the acquisitions, yeah, yeah, shows so, that it, the picture is not. That. So there's no need for panic. Mm. And you know, I think I think we need that kind of message across our entire economy because in you know, panic mode ends. But Snezipo, uh, talking about panic mode, I mean, uh, I guess one company that uh, might feel some reprieve um, after what happened over the last few days or so is Huawei. Uh, it seems now that uh, you know uh, Trump and uh, his uh, Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping might potentially be smoking the peace pipe here, and that might have uh, some benefits for Huawei here because a few days ago Trump uh, is uh, reported to have, uh, I guess, um, approved the sale of some U.S. goods to Huawei. Say it with me, Republican election 2020. You need to know, it's not love, guys. It's always full of the money. Never, ever consider this thing. So remember, who does who does Huawei do business with? You've got Intel there. You've got IBM there. You've got mm. Google there. Mm. All the big financiers of the party. They are there. Mm. So remember, when he did the ban, I think, remember when I wrote about um, the trade war for Huawei, the impact of the trade war for Huawei? You've got to look at it from a numbers perspective. You must never make these things emotional. You must always look at the numbers. You look at the fact that there are quite a few U.S. entities who are going to lose money. The biggest one was, as you know, Google. Mm. And Mm. Google, it's, it's not love. It's not love. Political it's not economy. Is it interest? Election. Is it interest? election is coming up in 12 months. It's not love, guys. Oof. It's always about money. So it, it it just gives you an indication in terms of what exactly sort of what one of the things that motivates him. And that, that mm. simple fact is it boils down to the fact that as much as they want to um, target Huawei, they target the, the Chinese, you've got to look at the impact. So if you look at the fact that Huawei spent, this is in the previous calendar year, 70 billion U.S. dollars on components, of which 11 billion went to U.S. companies. That's 11 billion less tax revenues for the U.S. economy. That's 11 billion less. So, and bear in mind, that number is based on, was based on last year before Huawei, um, and the fact that Huawei is not available in the U.S.A., so add the trade lift, add the trade uh, ban being lifted and them allowing them to be trading in the U.S., it, it gives you the sheer amount, the mm. sheer numbers, make them think twice about it. And also another thing is the fact that it's always been the fact that the companies most who are impacted by the trade, also U.S. companies like your likes of your Apple, mm. almost all of Apple's components are manufactured in China. Yeah. Almost all of Nike's, are manufactured in China. It really is what it is. It, it, it's not love, guys. Mm-hmm. Trump knows these Follow things. the money. money.
follow the money. Stensipo, let's pause there for a second. And uh, when we come back, I want us to take a look at uh, some of the moves Brian Joffe is making there at Long for Life. Uh, the guys who bring to us uh, um, uh, Outdoor Warehouse and uh, uh, what's the other one? Sportsman's Warehouse, I think. Yeah, those are the guys. And uh, they, I guess, uh, continue there with uh, uh, some of their capital structure moves, uh, opting not to pay a dividend. And we'll take a look at some of the reasons why on the other side of this brief break. Seven minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in uh, to Metro FM Talk, and it is our business wrap. And I'm in conversation with Snesipo Maninjwa, independent analyst, uh, market commentator, and a chartered accountant, uh, speaking to us and uh, taking stock of some of the big Stories in the world of business. Now, Snesipo, Brian Joffe and Long for Life. Uh, it seems there that uh, they responding, I guess, to subdued uh, consumer demand conditions. Uh, they've decided uh, to uh, not pay an uh, interim div- dividend uh, for the half year ending uh, August. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, also considering further share buybacks and uh, new acquisitions uh, to uh, bolster shareholder value there. But uh, also seems that... I guess uh, the guys who give us a sportsman's warehouse and outdoor warehouse uh, have also seen, uh, I guess, a slight drop uh, in uh, their headline earnings per share for the six months. Yeah, so we made, made, they released results today. And I think the results are just an overall reflection of the overall economy, namely the fact that although revenue may be up, they've had to sort of buy their revenue in, for, in the form of promotions mm. and marketing to entice consumers to buy their products. So for me, that's match of a matchness. Um, so, and also one that was quite interesting is that they reported on um, their beauty outlet, Sorbet, and that they were... They, because the thing with uh, France, the franchise of Sorbet is that it's, 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 it's very, 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 very difficult to grow unless you're opening new outlets. But as you're opening new outlets, you're also galvanizing your existing um, franchise space. So it's sort of like, you know what happened with those Kenny Taylor's, no offense, but you sort of, you sort of, it's also quite challenging. And, you know, it, it, it requires money to grow. And the fact that Sorbet is now expanding into more of a lifestyle brand, mm. that, that takes time. Although there's been movement upwards, it's 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 it, it, it's a challenge. Like it's it's a challenge, and furthermore, you know how I feel about share buybacks as a concept. If you have to buy share buybacks, it means you don't know what to do with your money. Mm, 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 mm. I, I I honestly I can't. Yeah, I mean for me it always sounds like metric chasing, right? Uh, especially if these guys it's, it's, are to increase your ROE. Yeah, like your ROE and your your uh, um, earnings per share as well, right? Because I think all of these guys are really looking. Uh, for that, because that's what uh, their performance is judged on, and I guess maybe in some instances that's how they get their short and long-term incentives. Yes, they do. So the thing is that the, the nice thing about them is that they're invested in cash businesses. Mm. You think print money, like like at some point when they did their annual results, which were released in May, at some point they were sitting at one point one billion in cash on hand. Yeah, yeah. And it's insane. It's insane. But the thing is that the, the main challenge they will have is the fact that, you know, they don't see investment opportunity. And for me, if mm. you're a consumer, if you're a consumer facing an investment holding firm, you've got to look at investing. You've got mm. to be. You've got to be thinking, man. And if you're not thinking, it means that there isn't much 
um, investment opportunities. Well, I mean, it's nice you know, Joffy might come back and say, hey, but look, uh, just over a week ago, you guys were the same people who were announcing that I'd up my stake in Spur, and uh, these are the guys who bring to us, yeah, Spur Steak Ranchers, Rocco Mamas, and all of these other brands. Um, and so maybe, yeah, they did invest that, but um, they're saying, look, if we're out of ideas, at least we've tried to deepen our involvement in uh, one of our investees in Spur. Let's take all of the other money and give it back to shareholders. Hi, guys. You must be growing. For me, that's Spur investment. I know since ever since those Afrikaans people solidarity dumped Spur, <laughs> <laughs> it's so not been doing so. Your customer pays, your main customer pays, your tiny no OM is, is, is yeah, gone. Yeah, ever since. And it's and it's reflective of the results. No offense. Like I think it's one of those um one of those situations where if one of your key demographics doesn't enter your store and they have the power to stop going into your store, it's for me it's one of those things. Um, it's one of those things that are unfortunate. But eh, you know, Brian Joffe, let's see what he can do. Um. I don't have much hope, but uh, I'm pre- I'm open to being proved wrong. Okay, let's. Uh, I guess uh, be open to uh, being persuaded there. The last one uh, I want us to take a look at here, Snesipo. Now, uh, the uh, head of the CCMA here, Cameron Morajane, uh, came out uh, with some interesting numbers in the annual report that was tabled uh, by the uh, commission earlier on today. Uh, they've dealt with uh, just under 39,000 retrenchment notices this year alone, just in one year. And uh, it seems that things are going to get worse, but they've also uh, done the bit to at least, uh, I guess, turn some of those retrenchment notices into uh, saved jobs. Yes, because remember, as you know, people like to complain about our inflexible labor market. This is one of those things where you must you must thank baby Jesus, the consultation of CCNA when you're doing retrenchment. Thank people. who? Baby Jesus or Tito? Because he was the Labour Minister when they introduced this stuff, you know? Who do you think? But yeah, Jesus, Jesus had influenced him during the time. To see the light then. Jesus influenced him and that's been only subsequently. But you know, the time the Lord was working his ways with all Malum Tito and this consultation process. So was what was quite what was kind of interesting was that when they were releasing some of the stats, a big, 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 big impact on job losses is the move to uh, automation and AI, specifically Mm -hmm. the banking sector being the biggest contributor of job losses. And we can see that with the advent and also the increased use of technology, specifically when it comes to banks. So I think we all could have expected that. But what was interesting, which I found quite disheartening, he was blaming the fourth industrial revolution for it, um, for the job losses. And I was like, at this point, I think we need to, um, number one, and we need to count stock. It is not the fourth industrial revolution on its own. It is also a major fact that companies, one of the easiest things that they do, one of the easiest things they they, they, they do when they feel that they're not achieving results is retrenchment. Mm, 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 and that's also part of it. And I think it's easy to say the fourth industrial revolution, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. if you look at the impact, we're a third world country, guys. We're not there yet. We're still in the second and third. That's not necessarily the reason. The reason is that firstly, the economy is not growing, number one. Number two, our economy doesn't have significant depth where you can allow employees to pivot their skill set. 
And of course, I mean, the other thing uh, here, Snesipo, that I'm quite interested in is around the transferability of skills and jobs. Um, you know, it seems that there's a lot of players that are trying to act here to save some of the jobs that might potentially be on the line. I think of the CCMA in this case and uh, some of the initiatives and the likes of the UIF um, and others. And one wonders whether or not... Um, you know, uh, we should also be uh, creating other spaces so that you have one coordinated fund that is able to reskill, retool, and retrain people. The thing is, and and this is it's going to sound controversial because you know people are very they're very special when you say this out loud. It is not the job of the CCMA, the UIF, to save jobs. It is not the job. It's not their job to create jobs because if we think of it in this way, um, Ayabonga, if you save a job that is ten thousand rand by putting an additional burden on the fiscus and on the regulator of the ten thousand rand, you're not saving a job. What you're doing is sort of delaying. You're putting a band aid. The main issue is that you need to reconfigure your economy. Mm, mm. That is the actual fundamental issue. Until you address the structural imbalances and the deficiencies in the economy, which results in us not being job absorbing and creating, but job shedding, mm. you will still have the same problem. I guarantee you one year, two years, you're just delaying the inevitable. And I think that's where my issue with another conversation and sort of my issue with the commissioner when he was dropping his stats was that what he failed to actually um, talk about was what is sort of being done on a sectorial level? You can't, for me, it's not enough to look at it from centrally located. That doesn't work. You've got to, because it makes the assumption that if you take a one-size-fits and you centrally locate everything, it doesn't take in consideration the specialization, the depth of knowledge, and also the, the highly, you, 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 it, it's complex. Okay. So you've got to look at it from sure. sector value chain perspective from the top to the bottom, from upstream to downstream and middle stream and look where the opportunities are mm. and direct also sure. accordingly sector-wise. Mm. Because one you of sound the like a champion there for industrial policies, Nesip. You sound like, you, you know those you people can't. that say, yeah, yeah, pick the champions. Back the champions. Oh, I promise you. Huh? Like, that's also one of the issues I had with my Lumpito's document because I was just like, whatever consultancy paid millions for oh, that document, they failed to recognize the structural deficiencies sure. in the economy that exist currently as mm. well as the existing political framework, mm. policy framework. Because for me, it was very much an overview job and it showed that the lack of appreciation of the detail so, you know, today I'm a, 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 no, no. You know what, <laughs> I think what we need to do is to call up the team there at uh, the DTI, uh, Minister Patel and uh, the guys in the IPAP team, Okal Strachan and all of them. And uh, maybe they must have a chat with you because they're no, coming strong. I know, I know, because one of the things that I was reading up on this, and I was actually even reading, um, I was, I've, been, I've been in research mode lately, and I was just looking at it from... Part of the issue is that when you take a consulting firm, the Boston consulting firm, because I'm pretty sure one of the Boston, it sounded like one of them mm. when they were reading the document. I was, reading the the document, I was like, is like is we're not sure. Don't say it's BCG. <laughs> they have Boston. There are many Boston ones, but Ivy League ones. You can uh, but there's one. one Boston consulting group. It's BCG. No, but like, so which one of the consulting firms that prepare that document? I wanted to ask for them to understand is that do they understand challenges from a sectorial level, sectorial level, and how do they interchange? Okay. Because when you, that's one of, one of the issues 
That's why I actually sort of hate all of this fourth Asenzo industrial so. revolution Asenzo talk Asenzo. because Asenzo. we're very much still in the second. Asenzo. We'll lobby Kuma for us to have an industrial policy conversation, but we're going to have to leave it there for now. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Asenzo Maninjwa, a market commentator and independent analyst speaking to us this evening here for our business wrap.